What's up, Victory family? Hey, guys. Um, hey, I want to tack on to that video that you just saw just for a second. Um, if we go all the way back, like back when dinosaurs used to walk the earth, that's when I started coming to Victory. And uh, we, we actually went through Rick Warren's 40 Days of Purpose uh, small group. And Anoche, uh, who you just saw there in Uganda, he was in my small group, like in Ackworth when we used to live there. And so I've known that guy for like 20 years. And to see him, they, were, they used to be in South Sudan, but because of the civil war and the violence, they had to move out. But now they're in northern Uganda training pastors, missionaries, Christians to send into that area. And that is what we're resourcing this Christmas gift to the world. Also, uh, as you saw Pastor Mo and Kinder there, they were being a little modest. Uh, really, Midtown has literally almost to the number grown 100% in the last year. And uh, I know all about that set up tear down life for anybody who was here when Victory Hamilton Mill first began. We were in you know Mountain View High School for about seven months doing the set up tear down. They've been doing it for three years and are hitting a lot of snags. Like they can't have Christmas Eve service and things like that. And we believe that God has called us to reach the city. And so we want to resource that. Uh, so next weekend, we are giving in our Christmas gift to the world offering. Last year, we actually gave $700,000 across our campus. So I believe that we can do more than that this year, all right? And what we love to say around here, the good thing is the money's here to do everything God has called us to do. The problem is it's in your pockets. And so <laughs> let's all get on the same page. And that, that is truly what I love about being involved in a big church is we can do more together than we ever could separate. And so we get a chance to do that next week and to do some pretty significant things globally as well as locally. Um, if you are uh, new with us here today, though, uh, we are closing out our series that we've been in for like the last four weeks. And really what we've been doing is centering around this beautiful, um, intimate, personal conversation that Jesus has with his disciples at the Last Supper table, just really literally a few hours before he's crucified, dead, buried. Um, I, I believe that we get probably five of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible of John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, where Jesus is breaking bread. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, no, uh, no man has any greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And it's there at that Last Supper table that Jesus actually says, hey guys, I'm about to leave, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. In fact, it's better that I'm leaving because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is introducing them and us to what we would call the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here's what I love about this, okay, is that God the Father is literally right now in heaven sitting on a throne. All right, God the Son, Jesus Christ, right now, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, tomb is empty, ascended, sitting at the right hand of God the Father on a throne right now. God the Father sitting on a throne, God the Son sitting on a throne, but God the Holy Spirit is right here, right now, God with us. And, and this is the idea, okay, is that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in that last supper table setting, the same thing that we've been talking about in this series, the fact that the Holy Spirit is the most important person that we'll ever have relationship with here in this life. He's our best friend. He's our helper. He's our guide. Um, he's, he's God who lives in us. He is the one, as Pastor Randy talked about last week, he is the one who produces the character of God in and through us. And for today, as we close out the series, we're going to talk about one more amazing, mind-blowing thing that the Holy Spirit does. And Jesus lays it out in that same conversation, John 14, 12. He's speaking to his disciples and he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever, everybody say whoever, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Time out. What? Whoever believes in me, this is, I'm sure the disciples are like, wait, wait, hold on. Like the same works you have been doing, like Jesus has like the thing, like the whole raising people from the, like the dead, blind people are seeing, lepers are healed, hard hearts are turned back to God. Like, like those same things, wait, hold on Jesus, you're saying we're going to do the same things you've been doing? And Jesus says, and in fact, you're even going to do greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. In other words, my earthly ministry is coming to an end, but now your ministry is beginning 
But here's the deal. I'm not going to leave you alone to do it. He says, I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And now here's the question they're all asking. How in the world are we supposed to do what Jesus did and live how Jesus lived? How in the world are we supposed to do that? So Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. And again, Jesus is introducing them to the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. Whoever believes in me will do the same things that I have been doing. Let me ask you a really difficult question. How many whoever's do we have in here? Right, 17. All right, Georgia Lottery shows up in five minutes and says, whoever's in the room gets a billion dollars. How many whoever? Oh, I'm a whoever, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take that right there. No, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the same things I have been doing. This is not just for apostles. This is not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries, okay? This is for every person who believes in Jesus will do the same things that he's been doing. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday, Reinhard Bonnke passed away. And some of you, that name doesn't mean anything to you, but he was a German uh, evangelist missionary in Africa for 52 years who personally, get this, personally oversaw 75 million salvations. 70, can you imagine the reception he got? When he got into heaven, all right, 75 million salvation. But here's the problem, okay? I heard, I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes say this lately. Here's what he said. He said, our greatest leaders are passing away and being replaced by our greatest tweeters. And here's the idea, guys, is that our job is not to tweet about Jesus' works. Our job is to complete Jesus' works, our job is not to show up in church and watch somebody else do ministry. Our job is to take the ministry with us when we leave here. Our job is not just to attend church. Our job is to take church out into the darkness. That's the big idea. That's why we're, if you're here for any other reason, thank God that you're here. But next week, you might want to find an easy church to go to that doesn't require anything of you. Because we have a God who said, you can do the same things that I did. In fact, anyone, anyone who believes in me, Everyone who believes in me will do the same things that I did. And what Jesus does, he, what he does, he looks at his disciples, he looks at us today, and he says, guys, here's the deal. I'm going to be with the Father, and now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. The same things I've been doing, now it's your turn. Everybody say this, say, it's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. But here's the thing, we aren't left to do it on our own. Because I don't know about you, left to myself, I can break all 10 commandments before breakfast. Come on, somebody, give me 10 minutes. I can break all of them. Um, I, can't, I can't heal a deaf person. I can't raise a dead person. I can't do any of that. But right at the moment of our despair, all right, Jesus speaks right into that. And he says, listen, you don't have to do it alone. Because here's the deal, you're incapable of doing it alone but I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the same things that I've done. And here's what he says. This is literally the last words of Jesus on earth, okay? So what we just read a second ago is Jesus right before the cross. Jesus goes to the cross, dies for the sins of the world, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. Right before he ascends into heaven, he gets his disciples together and he says this, Acts 1 verse 4. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore a kingdom? In other words, I know what you said about the whole Holy Spirit thing, but, but like, like, are you gonna kill the Romans? Are you gonna like free us? Are, are you gonna do it all for us? And Jesus said, no, guys, listen. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. In other words, don't be so worried about when I'm coming back. What you should be concerned about is what you're going to do until I come back. And what you're supposed to do is this. You're going to receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's the four parts of the vision of the church, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth up here. And what Jesus told these guys was this. He says, guys, the same things I've been doing, you're going to be doing. You're going to be making disciples. You're going to be healing the sick. You're going to be casting out demons. You're going to be speaking in new tongues. But here's the deal. You can't do any of that until you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We will never be able to do what Jesus did until we have the same power that Jesus had, which came through the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me pause for a second before you grab your children and cover their ears and run out of here. Um, I, I understand that whenever we say baptism and the Holy Spirit, we all hear that in different ways. All right, now some of you are freaking out. Like if you told somebody tomorrow, like at work, hey, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're gonna think you're in a cult. I understand how it works. Some of you are like, you're waiting for the snake handling part of service, um, which is ridiculous because we always do that at the end of service. We never do it right now. Um, just kidding. Some of you are like, I'm a first time visitor, dude, take it easy. Um, here, here's the big idea, guys, is that we should not be afraid of this. Because the model of someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit, the model of someone who's baptized in the Holy Spirit is not 2 a.m. miracle spring water guy on Christian TV. That's, it's not the lady from the church you grew up in. That's not the model of somebody baptized in the Holy Spirit. The model of somebody baptized in the Holy Spirit is Jesus. And I don't know about you, I want to be like Jesus. In fact, this may just be your prayer, right, today, is saying, God, I don't want anything manufactured. I don't want anything man-made. But if it's yours, I want it. If it's yours, I want it. Because I want to be like Jesus. And if you've heard me tell my story before, I got saved when I was 14, right, after freshman year. And I was a pretty good kid through high school. And then I went uh, to UGA down the street, went to Athens um, uh, to go to college. And, and the reality was this, is that when I was at, uh, uh, in North Carolina, that's where I grew up, like I knew everybody, it was a small town. And then I left that setting to come down to UGA and I was one kid in a sea of 30,000 other students, right? And so I knew one person and that one person was in a frat. So I started going to frat parties. And just, I didn't know anybody. I, I'm just trying to go to meet people. And obviously I get swept up in it. And so in the first six weeks, I'm already going, like doing things I never did in high school. I'm like, I'm drinking, I'm smoking, being with the girls, like all, all the, the, the stuff, you know, that we know we shouldn't be doing. And what was happening was this, I was completely torn because I still had this part of me that loved God, right? I had this part of me that loved God, that wanted people to know about Jesus, but I had this other part of me that wanted the world and wanted people to love me and to like me and to be accepted, right? And if I can be honest, this is, this is the tightrope. This is the parting pass because those are two completely different roads. This is why most of us never get very far down either road. Come on, like, cause it's like, oh, I wanna, I, I know, like God's the answer. Like Jesus Christ is the best, right? Oh, but I really want people to love me. And that's why we never really get too deep into God and we never really get too deep into the world. We just kind of exist until we die. And I was starting to walk that road. And Halloween, 1997, six weeks after starting to, to attend UGA, my next door neighbor in the dorm knocked, knocked on the, the door. He was a preacher's kid too. And he said, hey, my, my church is having this college retreat um, on Halloween weekend. Do you, wanna, do you wanna go to that? And I wasn't doing anything, so I said, sure. Um, and it's one of those things, right? Like it, there, you have a handful of them in your life where you say that decision changed my life. That decision changed my life. And so I, I go on this, this retreat, right? And um, first day, it's all good. We're doing things every college retreat does. We're throwing Frisbee, right? Like we're on the big grass, throwing Frisbee. We're eating Jello, right, for dinner. And then we go in for the night session. And a Presbyterian kid, I'm thinking what a night session is, right? So I'm thinking we're going to go in. There's going to be a dude on acoustic guitar singing Michael W. Smith. And there's going to be like a 10-minute like a sermonette. Come on, somebody. And then we're going to play Monopoly, right, until 2 a.m., that sort of thing. Like that's my idea of what this is. And so I walk into the room for the night session. And there's literally people yelling in tongues. And I'm like, oh God, what did I get myself into? I'm in North Georgia. 
I don't know anybody except for the guy who invited me, and now I can't trust him. <laughs> Let's be clear on this. I don't know anybody. There's no cell phones yet. I'm trapped. So what happened, you know, it's totally, if a picture could speak a thousand words. Um, say there's a hundred, you know, college students there. All right, 99 of them are in the, like the front three rows, and then there's Johnson on the back row by the last seat by the exit door because I don't know you jokers. And I am, I'm looking for the boxes because there are definitely snakes here. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> you, you got to understand, like I'm Presbyterian kid. Pull, there's people yelling in tongues. And then what happens is the, the, the young adult pastor, he stands up and he's like, hey guys, you know, I was going to preach tonight, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to kind of go after God. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. What does it mean to go after God? And he says, here's the deal. He takes a chair, he puts it right up at the front, and he says, this is the hot seat. If you want prayer, come up and sit in the hot seat. I'm like, oh, God, what's a hot seat? Why is it hot? Why are we doing this to each other? And, and so simultaneously, I'm telling you, 99 people stand up, go to the front. They're like all in their face, oh, Jesus. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> what hands hands lifted I'm hands crossed like they're weeping I'm internally weeping like what is happening and so one of the leaders uh I think he saw what was happening he kind of came back and sit ne sat next to me and he's like hey dude what's going on I said you don't you don't want to know what's going on I don't know what's happening right here and he's like it's all right it's all right don't worry about it and so I'm just telling you I was sitting there one minute two minute five minute ten minutes and somewhere in there, maybe 10 minutes in, I literally, find, it's like I blinked and I found myself and I'm walking up to the front and I'm like, you have, you have betrayed me, legs. Like, what are you doing? It was like this out of body experience where I'm walking up to the front. I'm like, why am I walking up to the front? I'm like, I, I'll just go check it out. See what they're doing up there, right? And again, if a picture could speak a thousand words, there's 99 people like sprawled out, you know, praying, crying. And I'm just standing there like looking at them now. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. No, there was no handbook, you know, when I got here. What am I supposed to do? And after, you know, a minute or two or three, whatever it is, I, 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 I'm just telling you, I blink and I find myself and I'm on my knees and I'm praying. And I've never been on my knees praying before. And I'm thinking to myself like, this is odd. And then before I know it, I'm now on my hands and my knees praying. And I'm like, oh, what is going on? And this, what I would call it now, this conviction came upon me. But it wasn't harsh. It was not hard. It was not yelled at. It wasn't hateful. It was this kind but irresistible grace of, of me being afraid to share my faith, of be, me being afraid to talk about Jesus. And so I'm sitting there on my hands and my knees, right? And I just start praying. I'm saying, God, no more fear. God, no more fear. No more fear. No more fear. No more fear. And my next door neighbor in the dorm, he comes over, puts his hand on my back. He's like, yeah, man, just pray. Just pray. It's good. And I'm like, no more fear, God. No more fear. No more fear. No more fear. I'm like, what? What's happening to me? What? I did not ask. God, I did not ask for that. I don't even know what is, what is going on. I don't know right now. And I'm telling you, it was like somebody stuck dynamite at the base of Hoover Dam and just this, I could have stopped it, but I didn't want to stop it because it was so good. I couldn't explain it. But the best way I know how to say it is, it was like this lion had been sleeping on the inside of me my entire life and the lion just woke up. And this passion and this fire, oh, I'm telling you, there, there was this instantaneous thing on the inside of me that says, God, I've always believed, but now I have evidence for my belief. I did not manufacture this, God. I didn't even ask for this. I just have to assume this is tongues because I, nobody's ever taught me anything about this. And it was just like this floodgate opened up. And I'm telling you, I was instantly different. Most of you only know me now. If you had known me pre-baptism of the Holy Spirit and post-baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'd see two completely different people. 
And what happened was this, I came back and uh, I emailed, I just got an email account and I emailed all my friends back home and I told them what had happened. And naturally they all thought I was in a cult, but I didn't care. And that's how I knew something was different because I didn't care what they thought about me. I had started to arrive at this place where I want you to like me, but I don't need you to like me. And I knew that God had started something on the inside of me because I knew this Jesus was king and I wanted everybody to know about it. And, and I, I left that setting, right? And I, I remember I woke up the next day and I'm like, all right, can I still do that? Can I still speak in tongues? And then, and then I did. And I'm like, all right, I got to figure this out. Like what? What's going on? And so I came back and I opened up the scriptures and I said, all right, God, what I just experienced, it felt right. But the question is, was it right? And let me just tell you in summary, in case you have to leave or you're already getting freaked out, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is 100% biblical. 100% biblical. Let me walk you through a few, okay? All right, Matthew 3, 11. This is what happens when John the Baptist sees Jesus. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here's what I love is that the Holy Spirit through salvation introduces us to Jesus, and then Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit. This is how this thing works. Mark 1.10, this is Jesus' water baptism. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And if you know the timeline, Jesus' ministry didn't begin after his water baptism and his spirit baptism. That's when the power of God came upon him to go do the works of the ministry. Fast forward after Jesus um, ascends into heaven. You know, Acts 1.8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, Acts 2, verse 4, that's the day of Pentecost. And all, here's what it says, the 120 believers in the upper room. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Lots of things happened there in the book of Acts. It's the story of the early church until we finally arrive at Acts uh, chapter 19, verse 1. Here's the apostle Paul. He's traveling through to the city named Ephesus. And it says, there he found some disciples. Notice this. This is super cool. There he he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's a really good question. Paul finds some Christians and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed. And here's what they said. They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Apparently they went to the same church that some of us did growing up. So Paul asked, he said, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied, John the Baptist. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. So on hearing this, they were baptized by water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And here's the deal, guys. Here's what's so important about this. We have to catch, check the timeline on this, okay? Is that this right here, this is Acts 19. This is not the day after Pentecost. This is not the week after that initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's not a month. It's not even a year. This is 25 years after Pentecost. This is 25 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. Here's here's what we have to notice, okay? The apostle Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than you did, (laughs) thought that it was so important that he was literally traveling the map, finding Christians and telling them they needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This was one of Paul's jobs, was going around and saying, hey, I know you believe, but did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Because here's the deal, guys, you're never gonna be able to do the same things Jesus did unless you have the same power Jesus had. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Well, if not, let me lay hands on your shoulder and I'll pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they got what Jesus had. 
And so we look at the timeline, right? Like Acts 1, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, the, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. They immediately, they start, you know, lepers are being healed. Like crippled people from birth are being healed. People, 3,000 people get saved on the first day. Uh, Paul starts saying crazy things like, when I came to you, I didn't come with a message of man's wisdom, but instead I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, right? And I'm reading all this sort of stuff as a newly baptized in the Holy Spirit person. And I'm saying... The baptism of the Holy Spirit is all over the Bible. In fact, I'd say this. If you grew up on a desert island and all you had was the Bible, you would be absolutely convinced that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is normal Christianity. The only reason you would not believe that is because some dude stood on a platform with a microphone and told you it wasn't. That's why I always say, you know, cessationalist. That's the big theological word that says the Holy Spirit doesn't do that stuff anymore. And I always say, hey, man, chapter and verse. Where? That's man-made. What happens is pastors who don't pursue the Holy Spirit, who don't believe in the Holy Spirit, have to rationalize their lack of power and say, well, we, I know there's no chapter verse, just the Holy Spirit stopped doing that stuff. No, you just stop believing for it. The desire of the Holy Spirit has always been to empower the people to do the same works that Jesus did because whoever believes in Jesus will do the same things that Jesus did. In fact, A.W. Tozer says this, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being a spirit-filled person, is normal Christianity. This is not just for guys on platforms. This is not for missionaries. It is for every single person who believes in Christ. And what I did, as I, I saw as I was going through the scriptures, I saw what, you, what I would say is like three types of believers, if I can say it like that. There are three types of believers. The first one is this, just believers who believe in Jesus. This is salvation. This is somebody who said, you know, I repent of my sin. I confess Christ as Lord. And many people stop literally right there. If you have stopped right there, today God is calling you higher. Okay, because there is more for you than that. The second step is this, believers baptize in water. This is where you're saying, it's my public profession of faith. I am publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. I'm going down with the old, I'm coming up with the new. We could say it even like this. I want the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. In other words, I wanna live like Jesus lived. I wanna have that sort of character. But then even there, probably 99% of Christians stop. But there are the few who say, God, if it's yours, I want it. And they actually step into this place of saying, believers who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the gifts of the Spirit, which is the power of God, which is the same thing that Jesus did. And he said, whoever believes in me will do the same things that I've been doing. And this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It is the, when, you get, when you get born again through Christ, you get a deposit of the Holy Spirit in you. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the Spirit in you, it's the Spirit on you to move through you to do the same things that Jesus did. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I want that. If you wanna know why most Christians are bored out of their minds, if you wanna know why most Christians get in dumb sins, addictions, is because you were made for more. You were made to carry the Spirit of God. And when you're not carrying the spirit of God, you're gonna look for something else. And this is why we get in porn. This is why we get in sexual morality. This is why we get in gender identity crap. This is why we just pursue money. This is why we get in all the sins of the world because we were made for more. You were made for more. I'm telling you, if we have settled for less, you need to understand that that silent discontentment on the inside of you. You're not made to just roll with that for the rest of your life. You are made to be filled and empowered by the spirit of the living God to do the same things Jesus did. And you can only do the same things Jesus did by the same power Jesus had, which is by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right, and let me just, let me just put it as simple as possible. I want you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it's too late because the ushers already locked the doors. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Bigger than me wanting you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, God wants you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because he created you for more. He didn't just create you to say a sinner's prayer and then go to heaven. Thank God for that. Thank God for the gift of repentance. Thank God for the character of God. Thank God that we're going to see him one day face to face. But I, I, I have to live with one eye on eternity and I have to live with the other eye here today and saying, I'm not just made to exist until I die. I'm made to do the same works Jesus did. 
And that's why when I'm not living that sort of life, I have a discontentment on the inside and I get myself in trouble. And I'm just telling you, if you have a discontentment on the inside and you're getting yourself in trouble, what you really need is the Holy Spirit. What you really need is the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens, okay? Let me, let me just lay it out here real quick and then we're gonna pray in, in a few minutes, okay? Here's what happens when, when, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing, is we get a new boldness to share our faith. Again, new boldness to share our faith. Uh, again, checking the timeline, okay? Is that Jesus um, is crucified, dead, buried, all right? And then he goes to find his disciples. The guy, he's, he said, hey, you're gonna get the Holy Spirit. You're gonna go be witnesses everywhere, all that sort of stuff. All right, he goes to find his disciples and they're terrified and they're locked in a room. Why? Because they're afraid that the same people who killed Jesus are gonna come kill them. All right, so all the disciples, all, you know, Judas and Matthew and Peter, all these guys who we know as these giants of the faith, they're terrified. All right, so they're locked in a room and Jesus totally goes Jesus on them. If you know the story, right? Locked door and Jesus goes, what's up? He like floats through the wall, right? And then he's like, I'm hungry, which is like, well, you can't make this stuff up. People are like, oh, Bible's man-made. I'm sorry, if I wrote the Bible, I wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't be hungry. I'd leave that part out. Like, it's not unconsequential to the story, right? But Jesus walks through the wall <laughs> and he finds these guys who are terrified. And then you fast forward and he finds these guys who are still pretty terrified, right? And he says in Acts 1.8, here, here it is. I'm gonna put it up here one more time. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. What do witnesses do? You're gonna tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And what he's saying is this, guys, you're gonna be empowered to go be witnesses, to go be bold in your faith, but you can't do any of it until you get the Holy Spirit. And that's why just like a week after this, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire over their head, and they run out of the building and they start preaching the gospel and 3,000 people get saved on the first day. It's a pretty good altar call. They get saved on the first day, right? And what I do, I look at Peter. All right, Peter is the guy who a few weeks before this, he denied Jesus pretty much to his face three times. And now Peter, after he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, is the lead preacher. And I'm like, I can identify with that guy. I, can ident I know what that's like. I know exactly what that's like. And so I look, I look at this life of Peter and I'm like, man, what happened? And here's what, I, here's what I'd say, I'll put it up here. The difference between scared, hiding disciples and bold evangelistic disciples is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. Man, if you, if, again, if you knew me, like on, on that night I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, my prayer was, God, no more fear, no more fear, no more fear. When I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, at some point I stand up, you just had to know me before. I, am, I start walking around the room and I'm praying for people. There's one girl who had uh, hearing aids. I'm going up and I'm praying for her to be healed. You only know me right now. If you had known me as like 17, 18 year old Johnson, that is the farthest thing from reality that ever would have happened. What I'm saying is this, I prayed, God, I don't wanna be afraid. And so he baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And the answer to my evangelistic fear was the spirit of God. And my first reaction to the Spirit of God was to get evangelistically bold to start laying hands on the sick and doing the same things that Jesus did. I, I don't know how better to tell it to you than this. Um, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was terrified to talk about Jesus. After the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm a preacher. <laughs> That's the best way I can tell you. I'm just saying, we need the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God gives us the boldness of God. And here's the idea with those disciples. They had confidence in the message, but they didn't have boldness for the message until the Holy Spirit came. And I know every single person in here today who calls on the name of Jesus, you have this thing on the inside of you. It says, God has changed my life. I really wanna tell other people about it, but probably over half of us are really afraid to do that. And I, here's what I'd say. We live in a world who unapologetically tries to sell you everything. Hey, sell you porn, sell you pills, sell you alcohol, sell you Mary Kay, come on somebody. Sell you, you know, <laughs> ain't afraid to talk about college football, ain't afraid to shout each other down about politics, but you say the name of Jesus. You can't say the name of Jesus. You can't do that here. 
And so there's this fear of man on the inside of us. That's what the Bible would call it, the fear of man. And I love how Rick Warren said it years ago. He said, I, I much more want God's approval than I do man's approval. I am much more fearful of God's disapproval than I am man's disapproval. And that's only possible when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I'm telling you, it is the boldness of God. You could... Some of you have been saying, well, I need to learn apologetics. I, I need to go through an evangelism class. Yes, absolutely, do all that sort of stuff. But you will never have the boldness to live the life of Jesus Christ until you get the Holy Spirit. You can go through every single class. You can go through seminary. You can go through all that sort of stuff. And you will still be weak as a rabbit instead of bold as a lion. I'm just telling you, you need the Spirit of God. Some of you, you're going to have an opportunity here over the next few weeks heading into Christmas to be bold as a lion. You're gonna have some family members sitting around your table. You're gonna have the opportunity to invite neighbors to a Christmas Eve service, but you need the spirit of God to live the life Jesus has called us to do. The second thing is this, second major change that comes with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is you get a new prayer language. I know this one's a little bit controversial, but let me, I have like three minutes, so let me just kind of break it down as much as I can. Um, one of the most beautiful things that happens during the baptism of the Holy Spirit is often you get what you would call speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, or a prayer language. Um, if you, let me just say this. If you grew up in a charismatic church um, and you didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you may have learned how to fake it until you make it. And so let me just kind of give you some, some quick uh, tips here. Do we have those? Uh, we can put up here. Top two, imitation speaking in tongues. Let me just kind of give you some, some hints here. Is uh, Kind of 101 is untie my bow tie. So if you say it really fast, untie my bow tie, untie my bow tie, untie my bow tie. Um, <laughs> upper level is should have bought a Kia, but I bought a Honda. So should have bought a Kia, but I bought a Honda. Should have bought a Kia, but I bought a Honda. So, um, and really anything in another language. Like if you, know, if you know Spanish, but the problem is there's Latinos here. You go to white church or black church, you can get away with like just praying random Spanish stuff, but you can't do it here. Like, necesito un gato gordo, necesito un gato gordo. Like, you just gotta. Um, here's the deal, guys. I understand, I get it. That whenever we talk about speaking in tongues, people are like, oh, you had me until right then. And the, the best way I can say it is this, is you don't have to speak in tongues, you get to speak in tongues. You don't have to, it is a gift. And, um, you know, Paul even writes, writes about this, okay? Because um, here's the idea. I, I acknowledge that speaking in tongues, it is not natural. Okay, you wanna know what it is? It's supernatural, it's supernatural. And if your Christianity can be explained naturally, you don't have Christianity, you have morality. And so God is a supernatural God, that God is spirit, God is not flesh. And so if, you're, if your faith can be explained in the flesh, you don't have faith, you have works. And so our God is a God of the spirit, and so we are spirit, soul, and body. And so here's the big idea of praying in, in our prayer language. I can pray in the natural, but I can also pray with my spirit. And that's what speaking in tongues, praying in tongues is in this context, okay? Here's what Paul says, all right? He's in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he writes about this. So if you really wanna go into it, go read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about order in our worship services. Because people are like standing up and like yelling in tongues and stuff. And he's like, guys, that's not what this thing is about. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Paul, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. What you gonna do about that? What did the theologians, oh, cessationalists, oh, God doesn't do that stuff anymore. Paul, you got to discount the entire New Testament then, or at least two-thirds of it, because that's what Paul wrote. I would like every single one of you to speak in tongues. First uh, Corinthians 14, 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. He says, I, wanted, I want you to speak in tongues, but here's the deal. Even if you don't, I do it all the time. I do it all the time. This is Paul, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He prays in tongues more than everybody. He's, this, is, this is a real, this is, this is the idea of prayer language. Here it is in summary, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So in other words, praying in the spirit is almost like bypassing your mind, okay? Now, some people would say, well, why would you do it then, right? If I don't know when I'm praying. Um, it's a good question, but here, here's, here's how I would say it, is that many times when we pray in the natural, Paul would even go on to call it praying in the natural. He'd say, well, if you, you, know, you need to pray in the natural and pray in the spirit. But many times when we pray in the natural, we don't know what, we're, we, what we should pray for right? You ever get into a situation, you're like, I don't know if I should pray for this or this. I don't know if I should go left or if I should go right. I don't know what's happening in that situation. I don't know how to pray. And so we pray these really weak, faithless sort of prayers. But here's the idea of praying in the spirit is that my born again spirit, and this is the idea of praying in tongues, is your born again spirit is praying to God. Is my born again spirit is in communion, is in connection with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. And no one knows the mind of God except for the spirit of God. And so my born-again spirit can cooperate with the Holy Spirit to pray the perfect will of God. And Paul even prays this, you know, says this, you know, in Romans 12, he says, when you don't know how you should pray, the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. This is what that looks like. The, when, when I pray in the Spirit, I, I'm, I'm praying the will of God into action. This is why I pray in the I, I, I don't know about it. I could probably say I pray in the Spirit more than most of you. I don't know if it's all of you, but I pray in the Spirit a lot. Like I pray in the spirit when I don't know what to pray. I pray in the spirit when I'm bored. I pray in the spirit because you'll never run out of words to pray when you're praying in the spirit. It never stops because you're connected to the perfect will of God. I pray in the spirit. You better believe I pray in the spirit when I'm on Marta. But I don't pray out loud because then I feel like everybody else on Marta. Um, I pray when I see an ambulance come by because I don't know what's happening but I wanna see God's perfect will come to pass for that person. And so I'm praying in the spirit, this is a gift. You don't have to do this, you get to do this. And again, the idea here is this, in 1 Corinthians 14, what he says, if you've ever been in a service where somebody stands up and starts yelling in tongues, that's not God, that's the devil. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. God's never gonna possess you to go do something like that. Right? There, will be a, there will be a sense of doing it, but everything's done in order. Okay, that's if you really want to know, 1 Corinthians 14. So what happens is when I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I get a new evangelistic boldness and I get a new prayer language, which is beautiful. And the third thing is this, I get new power to operate in the supernatural. I get new power to operate in the supernatural. And this is the whole idea. Jesus told us that we would do greater works than he did because he's going to the Father. And we can only do the, the works of God by the power of God, which is the Holy Spirit. And as Pastor Randy talked about last week, there are nine what we call fruit of the Holy Spirit. Again, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And there's also nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, which Paul again writes about here in 1 Corinthians 12. Here they are, okay? Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. In other words, it's not multiple Holy Spirits. It's one Holy Spirit giving to his people as he wants to, as he wills to. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And this is the idea, guys. We can't go into all those. But this is the idea of the gifts of the Spirit. Is that God gives us the gifts of the Spirit to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus Christ. The power gifts of the Holy Spirit are not so we can have really good Sunday services. All right, if the greatest things we do for God are inside this building, we've missed the point. Jesus gives the gifts of the Spirit through the power of the Spirit so we can bear witness to him out there. Some people, this is why I think we missed the point. Some people say, all we need is the word. Thank God for the word. The word is, is unfailing. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Why can't we have the word and power? That's what Jesus had. Why can't we have it? If Jesus needed it, I think we need it, right? We need the power of God. This is, this is, this is the beautiful thing. Listen, you can go out there and at work tomorrow, you can tell somebody Jesus is really good. And they can say, I have a migraine. And you can just leave it that Jesus is really good. Or you can lay hands on the sick and show them that Jesus is good. 
This is the power of the Holy Spirit for us, a word of knowledge. This is, you know, if you ever see us when we get up here and we say, hey, when we pray for the sick, we say, hey, God is saying somebody in here has a knee thing or a back thing. That's what's called a word of knowledge. There's no way we would know that unless God said that. Word of wisdom, that's when somebody's telling you, hey, I got a life decision to make or whatever it is. And you're like Solomon, man, in that moment because the Holy Spirit has told you the mind of God about that matter right? Gifts of healing. I believe that there is sometimes biblical faith for healing, but there's also gifts of healing. In other words, you have a supernatural gift of God that when you lay hands on the sick, they recover, right? These are the gifts that God gives us. And I think we, especially those of you who grew up in like the Pentecostal circles, what happened was this, we kind of bought into this mistruth that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is only about speaking in tongues. And so we just, we, we can speak in tongues and we're good. And we miss the point, right? Paul says this, this is the last scripture, okay? First Corinthians 14, one. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. Eager, how many of you that could be said about that? How many of you that's true about your life? I eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit. I'm praying, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. God, I can't do this on my own. Jesus said that whoever believes in him will do the same work that he has done. God, I can't do that on my own. I will fall and I will fail every single time. God, I need the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, give me the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not for my own fame, but for the fame of Jesus Christ. That has to be our prayer. That has to be our prayer, guys. That has to be our prayer. Let let me just say it like this. The old generals are dying. We got to be real for a second. Billy Graham is gone. Right Horn Bonky is gone. Tozer's gone. All these guys are gone. And Jesus looks at us and says, it's your turn. It's your turn. Your job is not to come to church. Your job is to take Jesus' church every single place you go. I'm not going to give you the real corny, like, don't just come to church, be the church. No, what I'm saying is your job is to be filled with the spirit of the living God, that when you go into work tomorrow morning, God just showed up. Jesus walks around, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our job is to carry the kingdom of heaven everywhere you go. Your job is not to be a good citizen. Your job is not to be a nice Republican. Your job is to be a demon-shaking, grave-emptying, spirit-filled, soul-saving Christian. That is our job. But we can never do it until we get the same power that Jesus had, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's press into that right now, okay? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, we believe this. We believe that the works of Jesus Christ are still possible for us today. We believe that there is a high calling on our faith. And I just say this on behalf of all of us. We are tired of boring, faithless, going through the motions Christianity. God, you have a better way for us. You have a higher way for us. You have a high calling on our life. You have an exciting life. Jesus said that we can have life and life to the fullest, life and life more abundantly. And that happens as we partner with the Holy Spirit to do the same works that Jesus had. I can't believe, I can't even believe for one second that Jesus had one boring day on earth. I can't believe that when the disciples were walking with Jesus, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, that that was a boring day. God, there is a life to the fullest that's possible through the Holy Spirit. And what we're saying today is this, God, whatever's you, we want it. We don't want anything manufactured. We don't want anything man-made. We want whatever's real. We want whatever's yours. So God, give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let let me me say this, okay, first, is that Jesus, when he's sitting at that last supper table, he says that the, the first thing that the Holy Spirit comes to do is to convict us of sin. That means he comes to convince us that we're sinners in need of a savior. Before you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit, the first thing you have to do is become a part of the family of God through faith in Christ. And so if you're in here today, I don't wanna skip past this. I I wanna say that, that God sees you. And God sees your story. God sees how you entered into this place and God doesn't want you to leave the same way. He doesn't want you to leave with your sins on you. In fact, he loved us so much that he gave his son. And that through repentance, that word repent literally means doing a 180. 
is saying, I'm not gonna go my way anymore. I'm gonna go your way because your news and your life is so good, Jesus. I've tried it my way. It did not work. I'm gonna go your way. And if today you say, I wanna respond to that, I need to respond to this. I need to respond to the good news of sins forgiven, a place in the family through Christ. I wanna lead you in a prayer, okay? And so family of God around these guys, let's, let's pray together. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your life. You went to the cross for my sin. You are the son of God and I am forgiven by grace through faith in what you did. And today I leave my path and my sins to go your way for the rest of my life. You are my Lord, you are my savior. You have the rest of my days. I receive forgiveness. I receive a place in the family. I receive Jesus. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's lift our hands up to the Lord. Okay, this is surrender. This is just saying, God, I surrender to you. God, have your way, have all of me. Whew. Now, God, what we pray, God, as the angels are rejoicing in heaven with those who just said yes to Christ, God, we pray, Jesus Christ, send the spirit of the living God God, fill us with the Spirit. In fact, I'd say this, you know, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is something that happens for the first time, but it's also something that we need a, a filling of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. And so maybe I've talked to people before who said, yeah, I, got, I had that experience in 1975, you know, or whatever. What I'm saying is we need the Holy Spirit today. We need the Holy Spirit today. And so if you would say, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, either the first time or I need to be filled, I just want you to stand up to your feet. I wanna pray for you. God, right now, God, right now, meet us at our place of hunger. God, meet us at this place. Holy Spirit of the living God, baptize us with fire even right now. God, awaken dry hearts right now. God, awaken cold hearts right now. God, I feel it in the room like David prayed. He said, where can I go to meet with God? God, there's a hunger rising inside this room. God, we say that. God, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, give us a hunger for Jesus. God, we need Jesus Christ. God, we need to be connected to the vine. <laughs> we need to be connected to our Savior. And right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you. God, we know you're in all places at all times. But God, fill this space right here. Baptize us with the Holy Spirit, not for our name, not for our fame, not for our glory, but for the glory of the risen King. Jesus Christ. Right now, God, I pray that you would awaken the gift of healing. God, awaken the gift of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophetic words, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Faith, God, awaken it in the room. God, awaken faith right now. I feel that for some of you. God's awakening faith, believing bigger than what you can see. God, awaken it right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just kind of even hold your hands out and say, God, I receive the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, be in me, fill me, be on me, anoint me to do the same works that Jesus did. God, we're surrounded by people all day long who don't know Christ. God, not for our fame, but for your fame. God, give us the same power that Christ had to do the same works that Jesus did. For the glory of Jesus, let your kingdom come, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name,